Welcome to Red, White, and Confused. I'm your host, Heather Evans. On August 24th of 2022, the Biden administration announced a new initiative on college student debt forgiveness, where borrowers are eligible for $10,000 in loan forgiveness, or $20,000 if they are Pell Grant recipients. There are so many questions that I have heard from students on campus and folks off campus about this move that I wanted to invite some scholars on the show today who study college student debt relief to talk about their research and help us make sense of what's going on. So join me in welcoming Mallory Sorrell and Serena Laws. Mallory is an assistant professor of public policy at the Sanford School of Public Policy at Duke University. She is the author of Democracy Declined, The Failed Politics of Consumer Financial Protection from the University of Chicago Press. Serena Laws is a senior lecturer of political science at Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut. Her research focuses on social policy, tax credits, consumer bankruptcy, and personal debt. So first, thank you both for being on the show. Thanks so much for having us. I think we're delighted to be here. And it's so nice to meet both of you as well. So thank you. Now, there are a lot of debates that have been whirling around about this debt relief. I've seen things like Biden's plan isn't giving enough debt relief, like it's a drop in the bucket. His plan isn't addressing the real problem. It's just putting tape over things. I've also seen things where people on the other side are saying things like, well, why are we expecting people to pay for this? If they knew what they were getting into right when they went to college. So today I'd like to talk a little bit about what this actually does and then how we can assess attitudes towards this initiative. Now you both work on research related to attitudes that people hold about debt relief. And I know that you work on this concept of deservingness. Can you define what that is for listeners? What is deservingness? Um, Hi, thanks so much for having us. It's great to be here. This is Serena. Uh, Yeah, so deservingness is a a common concept in the public policy literature and political science, where we think about whether a particular target population of a policy is viewed as deserving of relief, or if they're viewed with skepticism, like they're getting something for nothing. So that concept has been studied most widely in the context of uh, welfare, like uh, what used to be called aid to families with dependent children. Now it's called TANF, um, Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. And in that area, um, often recipients are not viewed as very deserving. They're viewed as, you know, they, they got into the situation because of their own bad choices. And um, when, it, you know, and when we could say more, other groups are viewed as more deserving, typically like the elderly or veterans. And the theories in political science that deal with deservingness think this matters because those who are viewed as more deserving are more likely to get favorable policy toward them and with very little pushback, whereas those who are not viewed as deserving are gonna um, encounter more difficulty getting favorable policy. Um, so that's a, big, a basic sketch of that concept as it relates to political science research on social policy. So who exactly, I mean, it, if we don't think about deservingness or maybe what people have in their minds, so we'll, we'll put that on the back burner for now, but in just looking at who this policy affects, how many people are we talking about here that might be affected by this initiative? One of the things that's really interesting, I think, about student loan borrowers um, is that I think most Americans actually don't have a very good sense of of who they actually are. So when we think about people with student loan debt, 
um, and particularly federal federal student loan debt, which makes up a little over 90% of all of the student loans that are out there. Uh, we're talking about 46 million Americans who have student loan debt. That's a lot of people. But when you hear politicians in particular talk about people with student loan debt, they have this image of you know student borrowers as young, right? Per- perhaps just out of college. Um, they like to talk about student loan borrowers as though there are a whole bunch of them who uh, racked up a lot of debt going to Ivy League universities um, or pursuing really expensive graduate degrees. But the reality is actually quite a bit different. Um, when we think about people with student loan debt, actually the fastest growing segment with student loan debt are, are people over 60. So people, people across the age spectrum have student loan debt. People across the income spectrum have student loan debt. Um, student debt is particularly burdensome uh, among uh, black borrowers, right? Who tend to hold larger loans for college often because they may not have had as much financial support from their families when they went to college. Um, When we think about the people who are struggling to pay off their student loan debts, a lot of those folks actually don't have large balances, right? They may have $10,000 or less um, that they're trying to pay off. And it's also the case that uh, almost 40% of people with federal student loan debt don't actually have a college degree. So when you hear politicians talk about these highly educated people with well-paying jobs, that's actually not most people who have student debt in the U.S. That's amazing. So you said 40% de- do not have a college degree at the end yeah. of, of the day. Yeah. And I, I don't think that people think about that. Now, what do you think then? So we, we kind of know, I mean, in terms of the research on who it is that holds this debt, but what are citizens thinking about this? Like, do they think in these terms at all? I mean, again, like you just said, this 40%, I don't think that citizens know that. What do they have in their minds when they think, okay, these are the kinds of people. Is it the Ivy League? I mean, I'm hearing that a lot online, but I don't know if that's what a typical person believes about those who take out student debt for college. I think this is partly what was so interesting to us, and Mallory can chime in more, but is that unlike other policy targets where when you have a policy, for example, that's aimed at veterans, that's a very clearly defined and positively constructed group as a policy target population. And part of what interested us with looking at student loan borrowers is it's, it's, a, very, it's a varied group as Mallory's just described, but it's also, um, it doesn't have a clear picture in the American mind. And I think because of that, because first of all, it's such a varied group, it's such a large group, and also because there's not a very clear image of it, that Americans, I think, are more susceptible to framing from politicians that tries to highlight student loan borrowers as being one thing or the other. So you'll frequently hear proponents of student loan debt saying, you know, these, these are, are, are needy Americans, really, you know, focusing on historically disadvantaged groups like uh, Black and Latino students or, you know, borrowers. Or, you know, opponents of student loan forgiveness really talking about, well, these are Ivy League and, you know, well-educated rich people, and basically we're we're making a policy for them on the backs of taxpayers. And part of the reason why that framing can be so different is because we don't, as a public, I think, have a clear idea of who borrowers are or the fact that it covers so many different groups. And, And to put that into some perspective, you know, we, anyone who's been sort of following this debate may have seen 
Republicans on Twitter, for example, talking about how this is really unfair because it helps all these people who chose to go to Ivy League schools. And in fact, President Biden himself has used that logic uh, to justify not having more generous student debt relief. But the reality is that uh, folks with Ivy League degrees make up less than 1% of student loan debtors in the U.S. And even if you expand that out to folks who went to sort of selective colleges, the types of private colleges we might think of as being more expensive, that still is only, I think, about 12% of student borrowers. Um, so it's the, the image that policymakers are trying to, to use to talk about uh, particularly why student debt might be unfair is, is not a particularly accurate picture of who, who borrowers are. But Serena's exactly right. I think most Americans really don't have a good sense of what student loan borrowers sort of look like um, what their situations are, what their lives are like <laughs> because of the student debt. And, you know, one of the things we find out in our research is that um, the way you talk about borrowers does kind of influence how, how much people support the idea of student debt relief. Yes. And so now I really want to talk about your research. So for those listeners who are like, wow, she's got on these two brilliant people today. Where in the world did she find them? Well, let me begin with both of these individuals, Mallory Sorrell and Serena Laws, have a fascinating piece that appeared um, last week. Actually, I guess it was over the weekend, uh, part of the monkey cage on Washington Post. But one of the things I wanted to mention about this is that not only do they have a piece um, there at the monkey cage, but they're also working on a manuscript on this topic as well. And they do this wild. I think it's wild. I love methods. So this wild experiment with individuals, getting them to think about borrowers in different ways. So would one of you like to maybe take the lead on telling, telling our listeners, like, what did you do to see how people feel about different types of borrowers? Sure. So I can, Serena, would you like me to go for it. So we use something that's called a conjoint experiment. So um, one of the things that social scientists do when they're trying to figure out if there's uh, one thing in particular that might influence, you know, like a political attitude or political, political participation or something like that, we like to be able to isolate that. And, um, but, but in the real world, like that's not really how we see people or policies or politics. We, we take in lots of pieces of information at once. So what a conjoint experiment does is it lets you pick um, several different sort of attributes about a person uh, or potentially a policy. And we actually do, do both of those. And um, it lets you sort of randomly assign all of these different attributes uh, to profiles. So for example, in the piece we're talking about, um, we present people with two different hypothetical student loan borrowers. And they get um, information about what that person's occupation is, the type of school they went to, how much debt they have, um, how long they've been paying that debt off, right? And we sort of randomly assign the information that they get across all of these borrower profiles. And we ask people to say, you know, which of these borrowers do you think is more deserving of student debt relief? And we also ask them to say, you know, how deserving do you think each of these are sort of individually? And across all of the people in our survey, what that allows us to do eventually is isolate the effect of each of those different elements that we randomize. Um, so for example, we can say, 
relative to someone being a doctor, people who are high school teachers are viewed as more deserving of debt relief, right? Or relative to someone who hasn't started paying back their loans at all, um, someone who's been paying off their loans for five years is viewed as more deserving of debt relief. And so our study does this with borrowers, but we also have a second study that does this with um, elements of actual uh, plans to forgive student loan debt. And, and so we can learn a little bit about what plans people like and how those plans might affect um, their support for candidates, right, in, in the upcoming elections as well. So given like what we have been seeing online from politicians, from other people trying to frame this, is it smart for certain groups to frame this as though these are doctors and lawyers that are getting this sort of special perk, right? Like what are those the individuals in your study who are seen as less deserving overall, those occupations? Uh, I mean, in, in a word, yes. I mean, I think what, what we see is that relative to Ivy, when you, when you have two different choices, borrower A went to Ivy League and borrower B went to some other type of school, public, private, nonprofit, whatever other choice, relative to the Ivy League person, someone who went to a public college is going to be seen as more deserving in that instance. Um, so they, there does, and we do a different experiment where we sort of give information and we sort of say this is going to benefit Ivy League bars. We sort of give that Republican argument. And it does move Republicans a little bit to be a little less likely to say they support it. But I guess I would say, um, you know, so the argument works a bit, but I mean, just to be clear, that's, it's not true. <laughs> um, but, but I think that, you know, the, those politicians can tap into some, some people's beliefs and say, and, and that seems to be somewhat effective. That said, in another experiment we did, um, really the type of school didn't come out as being as important as we thought. So it's, I would say that argument is more dominant than the findings would suggest it should be. Yeah. Is that fair, Mallory? Yeah. And I would say, you know, there are a couple of things that when we ask people about individual borrowers seem to matter, right? So people with occupations that I think are viewed as maybe paying less, um, you know, folks tend to say, well, they probably more deserve more help. If you've been paying back your loan longer, people tend to say, oh, they deserve some more help. Um, when we're talking about individuals, when we ask about the policy sort of, or like student debt relief as a whole, though, as Serena was saying, there are a couple of things that you can say that make Republicans as a group a little less supportive of student debt relief. Democrats are not really moving. And, and a lot of that is because student debt relief is very popular, particularly among Democratic voters and, and sort of Democratic constituent groups. And even when you tell Democrats, like, well, this is helping an Ivy League lawyer, they're not really responding to that. They're saying, nope, I still think this is a good idea. Um, so, you know, we can look at a policy proposal like the one the president just released and we can say, okay, well, it makes sense that he put some income caps on this because in general, you know, our results suggest that borrowers are viewed as more deserving if they have more financial need. But we can also say <laughs> that um, at the end of the day, you know, most of the voters who are likely to be supporting the president and, and Democrats in the midterm, they just want to see debt relief. <laughs> and, and they're not really being turned off of that by some of the negative reaction that we're, we're hearing. Okay. So let me pause for just a moment for those who may be driving around and you're like, you tuned in and you're, you're thinking, who are these brilliant people? 
So let me reintroduce everyone. So today I'm chatting with Mallory Sorrell, who is an assistant professor of public policy at the Sanford School of Public Policy at Duke University. She's the author of Democracy Decline, The Failed Politics of Consumer Financial Protection from the University of Chicago Press, and also Serena Laws, who is a senior lecturer of political science at Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut. Her research focuses on social policy, tax credits, consumer bankruptcy, and personal debt. Okay, so I guess I'm wondering, you just said, Mallory, that every, like Democrats are wanting to see debt relief, and this is focused in on college student debt relief. Do you think that this would have been an easier play for Biden if it had been more on general debt than on college student debt for, from the Republican side of the fence? Would it have been easier if it had been framed like that. So it's like all debt, or is there a reason that like it's easier to deal with college student debt than other forms of debt? I, I can take a stab at this and you can chime in. It's such a great question. And I mean, I think we are really interested in people's interest in other forms of debt relief. And we have a couple of findings related to that that are not in the paper, but that I'll talk about. But I think the key thing to note about why student loan debt forgiveness is on the table is that the federal government holds I think was it 90% of, of student debt. The federal government in 2010 became the actual originator of this debt. So there's a much higher degree of control the government has over debt relief in the area of federal student loans where it can be done essentially through this executive action um, by Biden and through the Department of Education. Um, I think that that's also where the activism has been. I mean, that's part of my read on why this is an issue. Um, but we did ask people in the survey, would you be supportive of the following kinds of debt relief, you know, for credit cards, for mortgages and all this stuff. And if I remember correctly, student loan debt was way up there. People were really supportive, but in that measure, medical debt was even more supportive. Um, so there's, yes, I mean, I think, you know, I think there's, I don't know where Biden should have started. I think that there's lots of reasons why he did start here. But I, I, it's very possible that this could become an issue that people want to apply to other areas of debt. And don't be surprised. And I think we're actually already starting to see this. Don't be surprised when you see those those um, advocacy and activist groups that have been sort of agitating for student loan debt for the last, you know, at least five years, um, turn their attention to medical debt because it is extremely popular as a policy issue. Um, and I think for a lot of Americans, particularly after COVID, it is easy to understand how the, the growing levels of medical debt are in, in part there because, because government is not providing adequate health care, right? So I think that connection that Serena was talking about, you know, in student loans, the connection to government is obvious because government holds the debt. But I actually think for a lot of people, the connection to medical debt, there's still a connection to government because it's like, well, we wouldn't have this if we lived in a country where people didn't have to pay for their health care to the same degree. So, you know, absolutely, we're going to see more action on medical debt. And I was going to say with that form of debt, too, it would be harder to make a case that something like only the rich are the ones who are, you know, like Ivy League, like I don't really see that playing out as well in that arena as it does for the college student debt. Now, how do you think this is going to play out in the midterms? Is this going to positively affect Biden's approval in, in the end? I, do you think this is going to have an impact? I know there's a lot going on right now, but do you think that this is going to make a, make an impact? 
I'll, I'll give an overview of some of the findings we have for this. So I just, I, I do want to say, I don't know if we said it, but we collected this data in May of 2022. So student debt relief had been on the table. It had been talked about. It seemed to be on the verge of happening at several points, including right when we ran our survey. But it is worth saying this is three months prior to when debt relief actually happened. So we can say what we found then and give our speculation, but you know, it, things move fast in politics and it's possible things are very different. We did ask in a different experiment about these different plans, if, if a member of Congress supported this particular plan we've shown you for debt relief, would you be more likely to vote in the midterms, vote Democratic in the midterms, vote for Biden in 2024? Those were three separate questions. And we basically find some effects for some groups. It seems to move them, but the biggest effect seems to be on the possibility for voting for Biden in 2024, that that people who, who had really said they were not that excited if they don't get any kind of treatment, as soon as Biden passes some kind of debt relief, they say they're more likely to vote for Biden in 2024. Is that a fairly accurate rundown? Mallory. Yeah. And, and and those effects are strongest among, again, well, interestingly, um, Biden benefits from everyone, like actually even Republican voters who started off saying we absolutely will not vote, vote for Biden. Um, when they were, when they were asked, you know, what happens if he passes $10,000 of student debt relief? They're like, well, I might be, I'm not as opposed as I was before. Um, but when we look at democratic constituents in particular, so people who self-identify as Democrats, um, women, uh, voters of color, younger voters, and actually those with student loan debt, they were more likely to say not only would they vote for, be more likely to vote for Biden in 2024 if he takes some action, but they also tended to be more likely to say that they might vote for congressional Democrats at higher rates in the midterms. Um, we, there's a caveat here, though, that I will say. In, the, in, in one of the experiments where we present people with the details of the different policy plans, one of the things we ask about is like how much debt basically is the right amount of forgiveness. And, and we ask folks, you know, if, if a member, a generic member of uh, person running for Congress in your district were to support a plan like this, would it make you more or less likely to vote for them? Um, and one of the things that we find is that people are much more likely to say, it, people have become more likely to say, yes, I would, I would, I'm, I'm more interested in voting for this person if they support plans that forgive $50,000 of debt or more. So there's also a chance that capping that debt cancellation at $10,000 might be a little counterproductive. Um, but we also have some evidence that really just taking any action is, is helpful. So I think I would, if I were a Democrat running for Congress or if I were President Biden, I would feel pretty good about the potential political effects of this. I will say there is, I think, one big caveat to that, um, which is it all depends on the implementation. So if in two months, it turns out that this is an organizational mess and it's impossible for people to navigate the application process, um, we saw that happen with the Affordable Care Act. The rollout was bumpy and it affected negatively public support for the law. Now that eventually rebounded once they cleaned things up, but um, the Department of Education has not historically been great at rolling out any sort of debt relief programs. Um, so if they replicate that with this, that would, that, you know, they should take the Affordable Care Act as a cautionary tale. Like don't, don't mess up the implementation of this law. 
Right. And I don't know if you saw that yesterday, they had released some details about how this is going to roll out. So they say that on their website, there will be a very easy application and it'll only ask you for your income and it has to be from the last two years. And that's all. And, and like then within four weeks or four to six weeks, we'll see something, um, you know, one can keep their fingers crossed that that is how this is going to go down. But as you say, the Affordable Care Act was also supposed to be easier to implement than what it was. Um, So on one side of the fence, as we were talking about like the Republican talking points on this, right? Like, oh, Ivy League, you know, these these people are going to college and they're going to these colleges and they're spending all this money. And now taxpayers are going to be asked to like pick up the bill. How would you phrase this or frame this on the Democratic side of the fence then to maybe boost turnout or get people to see the connections between the policy that's going into place and then what the Democrats have been fighting for. Is there a way that you would frame what is happening with this initiative? So I do think the things that the Biden administration is focusing on are, I think, the right things, right? They're talking a lot about how this is targeted to folks who have more financial need. And and most of the um, sort of findings we have from our research suggests that 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 is who people view as more deserving, right? Um, They're also talking a little bit about the effects of this plan on trying to shrink the black-white racial wealth gap in the U.S. There's a lot of evidence that suggests student loan debt uh, has been partly responsible for expanding that racial wealth gap. And there's some evidence, again, in the um, sort of way that people evaluate borrowers in our study that suggests that that's politically potentially a good move for Democratic voters, because people do tend to view borrowers of color as potentially being more deserving of of, um, debt relief. And I should say that is a little bit unusual in the larger context of social welfare. That often, that direction often works in the other way. Um, So, I mean, I think those two things that, that the Biden administration is focusing on are the smart things to focus on. But again, one of the things that we find is among supporters of student debt relief generally, they already think it's a good idea, right? They don't actually take, most Democrats don't take a lot of convincing to think this is a good idea. So, um, you know, there's a little bit of, I think, uh, you know, you want to say the right things, but also for this policy, people's opinions seem fairly set um, about this issue. And I think just to piggyback on this, I think that the timing of the announcement of these actions probably works in in favor of the midterms, because even if there are implementation issues, I think anybody could say, hey, it's relatively early. You know, we we won't see all the messiness of how this if if there are problems, we won't see that messiness until later. So, yeah, I think people, if, if they're motivated, they'll be motivated based on the idea that some debt relief was given either something that affects me or people I love or something I know is a big issue out there. And that just I mean, I think that's, we can, we can nitpick about who was most deserving, but it really is worth underscoring. We were blown away by just how overwhelmingly supportive groups were almost to the point where they couldn't really be moved because they were so supportive um, already. Yeah. And for the listeners, their research is showing that even on, at the basic level, if we look at the n- number of people who are in support of this across everything, and you even have 40% of Republicans who were pro the debt relief within your study. So yeah, no, the one other thing I would say about the sort of potential politics of this is, is not actually specific to student debt relief, but one of the things that this does is follow through on a very um, 
clear campaign promise that Biden made during the primaries where he said, I will support a plan to forgive $10,000 of student debt. Um, And so, you know, the other way that I think this becomes sort of a political win that might encourage Democratic voters is in the last really three months or so, the Biden administration and and Democrats in Congress have uh, ramped up their productivity in some pretty impressive ways, given the sort of polarized political environment. And so I think, you know, one way that this also helps is it is it is another bullet in a growing list of things that the president can say, look what Democrats have gotten done for you that we told you we were going to do, right? We passed an infrastructure bill. We passed emergency relief. We have new regulations on, you know, semiconductors with the CHIPS Act. We are helping veterans. Uh, and now we're helping student loan borrowers. Um, and oh, by the way, we got some gun control measures through as well. And so, you know, that's not specific to student debt relief, but it is part of a now growing trend of Biden and Democrats being able to say, like, we're actually getting things done that we told you we were going to do. And, and that I think will have some effect. That's a good point. Someone the other day said to me, he should just start doing like videos where he calls up people who have lots of debt and he gets them on the phone and he's like, Hey, it's almost like you're going to Walt Disney world, you know, but it's like, Hey, I just eliminated $10,000 of your student debt. Like these could be like ads that play everywhere and everybody's like, Oh, wow. Look at, you know, what Biden's doing. So (laughs) maybe we'll end up seeing something like that. Well, thanks to both of you for being on the show today. I've learned a lot. I'm willing to bet that my listeners have learned a lot. Thanks again for being here. Thanks to everybody for listening as well. If you missed any piece of this program, you can catch up anytime on podcasts. Just look for Red, White, and Confused. And I will chat with you next week. Take care.